Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. <laughs> Break the news! <laughs> you know what they say, no pain, no drain. Right, Michael? Hey, it could happen. I think I hear the sirens off in the distance coming to take me to pun jail, but in the meantime... Hello there, this is Reese Hendrick, host of Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. For today's episode, we wrap up 2022 with a nostalgic look at the made-for-TV movie Aliens for Breakfast starring Ben Savage and Sinbad, based on the novel series of the same name by children's book author Stephanie Spinner. This important piece of cinematic history comes as a suggestion from guest comedian, the incredibly funny Joe John Sanchez III. We met up to have some breakfast of our own at my father's place in southeast Portland to discuss the iconic film. We delve into the underlying themes, casting choices, and character developments that make Aliens for Breakfast such a shining star in the eternal tapestry that is made-for-television movie adaptations of children's books. Also, make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for a hilarious set from Joe John at the Portland's Funniest Person competition held at Helium Comedy Club earlier this year. Since Aliens for Breakfast seems to only be available on YouTube, with all the commercials from 1994 included in full 90s glory, I'm going to go ahead and issue out a spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Because if you're like me and you prefer to experience something in its purest form, uh, you're going to want to pause this episode and go for a ride on the YouTubes for a quick trip back in time before I get into things. Alrighty, let's get into a bit of background with the book series before jumping into a plot summary of the movie adaptation. Aliens for Breakfast is the first in a three-part series written by Stephanie Spinner, which also includes the titles Aliens for Lunch and Aliens for Dinner. I guess Aliens for Brunch never quite took off. The books follow a young kid named Richard Bickerstaff who sits down to breakfast one morning and discovers that his bowl full of alien crisp cereal is home to the real thing, a tiny talkative alien named Eric who explains that he has come to save Earth from the evil Drains, a rival alien race. And that's it. After so much research, I literally cannot find a single analysis of these works that is worth getting into because the themes there within are fairly on the nose, of a Ganubian, which is to say they are very on the nose. The 1994 movie version follows the events of the book almost exactly, so I'll get further into the plot breakdown from that perspective. The ABC made-for-TV movie was directed by John T. Kretschmer, who was involved in directing Jurassic Park from 93, and stars Sinbad as the titular alien Eric from the planet Ganoob. We also have Ben Savage as Richard Bickerstaff, Terry Garr as his mother, Zachary Bostrom as Dorf, one of the drains, we have Jarrett Lennon, who plays Henry, that's Richard's main friend, with shoutouts to Alfrey Woodard as Mrs. Marks and Shelley Duvall as Mrs. Hastings. Some pretty high-caliber casting choices for a made-for-TV movie. Speaking of which, the story goes a little something like this. I lied, I can sing! Stop lying! Thank you. 
12-year-old Richard Bickerstaff is passionate about anything to do with outer space exploration and the popular fiction associated with it. In his room are various spaceship toys, games, and models. He's currently saving for the ultimate action figure, Jeremiah, the super space lord of Gygrax. As the movie opens, we see Richard hold up his new pair of black high-top chucks and tells his mom that he now hates them and wishes he had gotten his chucks in the color red. The reason for this is because a new kid at school, Dorf, wears red high-top chucks. Everyone at school thinks that Dorf is so cool that they're all getting red high-top chucks themselves and wearing them. Richard's mom replies that he thought his black chucks were cool when he bought them two weeks ago, and he doesn't have to be like everyone else, so end of subject. Ooh, shut down 90s mom style. Mrs. Bickerstaff then brings out a surprise for Richard, a box of Alien Crisp cereal for his breakfast, a free sample that had arrived in the mail because in the 90s you just ate random things that came in the mail. Richard pours himself a bowl and is surprised to find that there is a flat man figure there along with the round regular cereal pieces. When Richard pours milk on the cereal, the man figure sinks down, drowns in milk, and then after some noises and swirling in the bowl, reanimates and comes out as a living green miniature space alien named Eric from the planet Gnu. After his initial shock at seeing Eric, Eric then tells Richard that he's been specifically picked to help fight against the Drains, another alien race bent on taking over the Earth. Eric tells Richard that there is a Drain in his area who must be stopped before he starts to divide into more beings and overtakes the Earth. This is a super important secret mission that no one else can know about, even Richard's best friend Henry who arrives at the door but a few minutes later. Henry's told that Eric is an action figure. It's a good thing that Henry doesn't know about Eric because he's already under the spell of Dwarf, who turns out to be the Drain alien. Henry shows off his brand new pair of red high-top chucks, which confirms his new allegiance, causing a rift in their friendship. Dorf has special powers that includes the ability to disguise himself as another 6th grader in Richard's school and has Pied Piper-like control over the other students and teachers just by smiling at them. In the film, those under Dorf's spell are easy to spot by their footwear, those red high-top chucks. But for some reason, Dorf smiling at Richard doesn't work, and the two soon become rivals and enemies. Although Dorf cannot control Richard, he can do other things to him like turning his feet and hands purple. With everyone else falling under the influence of Dorf, it is up to Richard and Eric to stop him before he divides into new beings, which will happen every five days. The problem is how. Finally, Eric remembers that all drains are very allergic to one type of food, but he just can't recall what it was. Drains are voracious eaters, and if they can get Dorf to eat the wrong food, he will blow up. Richard tries to figure out what that food is by going through everything in his mother's cupboards, landing him in trouble. Eventually, the duo realizes that red pepper flakes are the drain's ultimate weakness, so they plot to expose Dorf to the deadly spice, which they successfully do. But Dorf is already divided. What ensues is perhaps the worst smack-talking throwdown of all time. Your secret weapon's all gone, Earth boy. Did you really think you could defeat the drains all by yourself? Richard, once they start dividing, there's more than one way to destroy them. You're the secret weapon now. Make him show you his true form. How? Remember, drains love to show off. Mess with his head. Right. Who are you talking to, Earth Boy? Earth Boy? Who are you calling Earth Boy? Have you looked in the mirror lately? You're just a blue-eyed pre-adolescent. Two arms, two legs. And what about you? Two hands, two very blue feet. I'm not afraid of you. You're nothing but an ordinary sixth grader. You walk like everyone else. You talk like everyone else. 
If you're some big alien conqueror, why don't you show us, Dork? Or is it Dork? Dork. That's pretty funny, Richard. Just an ordinary sixth grader, huh? You have no idea. You can't deal with the real me. Your best shot, Dork man. Dorf is transformed into his true alien self after being goaded on by Richard and having been exposed to Earth's atmosphere, disappears into nothingness, ending the threat the drains posed on our beloved Earth. Thanks for saving the day, Richard. Oh, and Richard gets the toy that he was saving for the whole time because, you know, it's a 90s movie. By the way, that underlying track was I Ain't Lion" by Sinbad from 1990. Now that you're up to speed on what happens during the movie, this interview with Joe John Sanchez III will hopefully make a little bit more sense. Aliens for Breakfast will return after these messages. Yeah, that on tape, me being a dwarf apologist. <laughs> no, this is a dev country. All dwarfs are bastards. <laughs> what is the stupid alien race that he's called again? A drain. Drains, yeah, yes, yeah, drains. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and the way that Sinbad, uh, the way that Eric, rather, because yeah. I, I, if we're going to be talking about him in these terms, I can't refer to him as Sinbad. I can't do it. <laughs> but, Joe John, it is good to see you. Yeah. Uh, happy holidays to you. You know, I half expected to come in here and see you wearing, like, an overcoat and still shorts. Shorts? Yeah. I, I wish I had, honestly. My commitment to shorts has waned in the winter. Did you ever have those, um, you know, they were very popular in the early 2000s. The khaki pants with the zipper at just, just above the knee so you can turn them from pants to shorts? I think I had a pair. Sure. It was more. It's a, it was obligatory the, uh, in the early 2000s. Tearaway pants, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Day. Oh, like, you mean the yeah. buttons all the yeah, way up the side? Yeah, I had a pair of jeans with them, too. Really? And, you know, yeah. That's. It was a style choice and a surefire way to get someone to tear your pants off in the middle of class. Yeah, I've done it to someone. Yeah. But yeah. We, we also wore a lot of breakaway pants in swimming. Mm, yes, so, that's, yeah. that's why I had that. Right. Because I was a swimmer, and it, it was like, all right, locker room, psh, I, why, though? It, well, if you ever want to revisit that misery, <laughs> I'm going to start swimming again after the turn of the year. So if you want to, like, yeah, like lap swimming like, oh, for, I, for I, exercise. I like yeah. for a team. Oh, no, like, God, no. All right. No, no. They don't want a what will be 33-year-old <laughs> stoner uh, who spends most of his time parked on a couch enjoying science fiction. If I knew where to go, I would go. I also there, oh, there, there are tons of, tons of places. I don't know if there's a JCC out here, because that's, mm. what, that's what typically draws me. Is Fair. Just, that's another obligation. Although, I mean, I can't be that Jewish. Like, I, I, I am Jewish enough to where, like, if I'm in Costco, I cannot turn down. They're like, oh, hey, this is uh, bacon-wrapped shrimp. I'm like, is that kosher? I don't care. It's free. Let me let me get three of those. <laughs> well, we are not here to talk about my Jewish tendencies. We are here or to... Are we? It's Hanukkah. It is, yeah. It's the yeah. sixth night of Hanukkah tonight. Yeah. That's true. And my birthday is the last night of Hanukkah. It would have been really problematic if it wasn't Hanukkah and I said that, but I, I have no sense of time, space, direction. <laughs> well, you know, that, that'll happen after doing a deep dive like research wise into something like uh -huh. aliens for breakfast uh -huh. yeah uh, it scrambles your brain yeah it sure does much like uh, a drain <laughs> look at you 
look at you. So, Joe John, before we get any further on, uh, what is your Instagram? My Instagram is JJS underscore III. It's really not that catchy, <laughs> but... No, but it, I, it is an abbreviation of your uh, full name, yeah. which is Joe John Sanchez the Third. Correct. Very powerful name. Yeah, I, I agree. Honestly, it, yeah, it's a <laughs> solid ass name. In fact, like, do you have a vanity plate that is JJS? I no. I, okay. But, well, I, I either should, could. or I would. I, I think I'd be deeply annoyed with myself if mm. I did. I would um, be annoyed with you if it was JJS and the number three. Mm-hmm. That I would not be on board yeah, with. But if it's or I, 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 yes. You get behind it all right yeah because then it looks like jjc (laughs) follow joe john on instagram he's hilarious he's putting out super funny reels and doing a ton of shows but we're going to get to that in a little bit what i want to know right now is how did you get your start in stand-up comedy do you want the long story or the short story i want the truth and nothing but the truth oh my gosh it's stupid story Um, i love stupid stories I don't know. I've always liked performing, mm-hmm. um, and I did theater. I did some, you know, singing here and there. I was not good at either. Um, well, that's just simply not true. I have heard you do karaoke, <laughs> and I, I mean, you got the chops. Listen, but I, it was like my dream. Like, I was like, I'm going to be a singer, like a pop star. I, I actually tried rapping, too, so nice. we, we will not go into that too much. Um <laughs> Please don't. Yeah. <laughs> Please never. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. The, the long story is basically that I wound up in a RuPaul's Drag Race discussion group okay. on Facebook with a bunch of New York City comedians and improv performers, um, many of whom are successful today. For example, Bowen Yang, who is on SNL, Matt Rogers, who just released a Christmas special, like Joel Kim Booster, one of the best stand-up specials of the year. Like... It's weird, but I went to college with someone who knew them in New York, um, and That's awesome. I, I think I like started listening to their podcasts um, and got like very into that style of alternative comedy and realized, oh, that's an option, but then never pursued it. And then Matt and Bowen were coming with their podcast Las Culturistas to Portland and Seattle, and they have a live show called I Don't Think So Honey, where comedians (laughs) rant for one minute about um, anything in culture (laughs) that pisses them off. And I approached Bowen at a show and said to him, why are you coming to Seattle? I'm funnier than most people in Seattle. And he pointedly looked at me and with, like, very few words sort of dragged me to filth by being like, oh, then you should sign up. Mm. So that planted the idea in my head, and then I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. And I wound up in Wenatchee, Washington, went to an open mic, waited, like, a few weeks or months, then went to it again, and then went to it the next week, and was like, the stakes are pretty low here. So I yeah. think I'm gonna try comedy. You know that that's a that's a common theme. Like even people who start off in big cities that I talk to, they're like, you know, the, the stakes are pretty damn low when it yeah. gets into open mic comedy. Like if it's something that you think you want to try, like just try it. You yeah. Know? Like, well, the funny thing is, when I came here, I took open mics so seriously. Sure. I was writing down notes beforehand, like, and I mean extensively, my entire set, reading it out loud in my car, making sure I hit the like whatever minute mark well that just means that you care about your craft 
That's that's okay. I yeah, mean, but it, does it mean I care less now that I just wing it? Sometimes? No, no. It just means that you're more comfortable with being on stage and doing like if you're doing the work and going to multiple mics uh, yeah. a week, if not a day. You, you just get this flow going. I can speak to the difference of being able to go to two or three mics a week to doing like seven or more a week. And you're riffing with people and you're developing yeah. your material. And like, you know, so it, it, also we have such a great community here. We do. You know, like here in Portland for comedy. So being able to like rely on people and always having that resource to be like, hey, let's, it's not even, hey, let's talk comedy. It just happens, and like yeah. it's just organic. So I feel like you know, picking up on that uh, comfortability. It's funny. There was a point in the beginning when I started here that I felt really alienated, no pun intended. Uh. Um, and um, <laughs> I was like, I should I just leave, quit? I this right should now. I just quit? <laughs> I would understand if you um, laughed at that moment. Yeah, I, I uh, then went to a open mic at Firkin Tavern, um, and love the Firkin open Something mic. snapped there where I was like, "Oh, it's okay to talk to people." And I just walked over to the bar and complimented someone after the set and said, "Oh, I really like this particular joke." And then it just like opened up this conversation, and I was like, "Oh." Why am I so scared to say things to people, especially if I truly appreciate what they're doing? So well, rejection sucks. Yeah. And if it's something that you really like, it hurts even worse. Yeah. So but yeah, I, I get the hesitancy. So many sure. of us just like want validation from the community um, to know that we're doing well, that like we're on the right track. And I don't. Know, I appreciate it when people said it to me, and I think that like. Paying it forward and not being afraid to tell someone, oh, yeah, good job, but, like, sincerely, not that, you know, empty, good set, fist bump type thing. Oh, Which well, I, I don't, I think it's a formality, I like it, but I'm just saying, oh. I think, like, having specifics. I mean, you can give a sincere fist bump. Yeah, you can, you can. I, tr I try to. <laughs> so, so Jojo, uh, I'm shitting on fist bumps, let it be known. That's okay. Well, um, Fisting's not for everybody. <laughs> The comment sections in your reels is I, definitely... Listen, I don't... I'm not into it myself, but... <laughs> I'm like, calm down. <sighs> All right, Jojon, what was your first exposure to science fiction, then? So, I made a little list because I knew I would forget things. Okay. Um, and I think the earliest thing that I can remember is the sitcom Out of This World, which started in 1987. Wow. Um, which I was maybe two years old when this came out. But okay. it was in syndication, and it lasted a few years. It was about a girl who was half alien, and uh -huh. the theme song was like, Would you like to swing on a star? Ooh, ooh, ooh. And that's all I remember I think about that's before it. that's before my purview. Yeah, it wasn't good. I, I can't tell you a single thing about any episode of it, um, but I remember it existing. Um, that and, like, ALF. Okay, <laughs> like, okay, yeah. yeah. Those are, those so are solid like, yeah. turn of the 80s, 90s references. If we're talking television, early sci-fi television, The uh, Secret Life of Alex Mack. That was one that I had on my list. I had Alex Mack, uh, Space Cases was another one where, hmm. what was her name? Jewel State. Uh, she played Catalina. 
who had rainbow hair and nice. she had an imaginary friend named Susie. And the entire time you're supposed to think like, oh, Susie's imaginary. But it turns out like later in the seasons, they replace her <laughs> like somehow. There's, I don't know, hmm. science fiction thing happens. And then Susie shows up instead of Catalina. Mm. Great stuff. <laughs> Solid. I, I'll, yeah. de- I'll, I'll definitely uh, bump it up the list of things to watch. <laughs> I do not recommend that. It's probably bad. But it's yeah. it's cool to hear like a different thing that I've never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Elf I've seen some of. And he's, know, and he's hilarious, of course. It, and it's not even like sci-fi was a secondary element of shows like that. that That's sense. true. Like, they yeah. were just Elf is a comedy family show. comedies, yeah. Yeah. essentially. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I was trying to think of an imaginary plot for Out of This World, but I don't remember a single thing about the show except okay. it existing. Well, we're going to get to <laughs> that, too, in a minute. We're going to get to some Mandela effect oh, uh, yes. conversation yeah. in a bit. But uh, w- what brought you to Aliens for Breakfast? And, and also, I'm so happy that the only version mm-hmm. that was available online <laughs> anywhere to watch it is free on YouTube with the commercials yes. from 1994. The original commercials from 1994. Which are a, so cringe. Yes. A cringe and beautiful in their own way. Sure. Um, they took me back. Yes. I remember Meek World. Hey, it could happen. I think I was, let's see. Oh, yeah, with Michael Jordan. That was her, yeah. Nine years old, nine or eight years old when this movie came out. And I must have watched it on TV when it first came out. Like, And it is is a made-for-TV movie. Like, it has Mm -hmm. breaks in it. Like, they gave it to ABC with the bumpers, like, setting up the commercials. Uh, (laughs) It was limited commercials. It was, yeah, it was interesting. Also, I don't know. I feel like at the time, Boy Meets World and The Sinbad Show had just come out. Mm. So they were, like, trying to push these stars upon the world. Did so they just have, like, them on set still, like, left over? I guess from, so. Like, they wouldn't they go home just, like, after wrapping an episode? Over. Yeah. Because <laughs> the practical effects, which are basically non-existent, and then Ooh. the um, the green screen... Or, or rather, the blue screen effects. Uh-huh. And I'll make that distinction because Sinbad's outfit is 100% green, green and, yes. which I think is a flex. I think they were like, we're going to flex <laughs> the fact that we have blue screens in 94. Hell like, yeah. And more power to you. I mean, like, I, that's where the entirety of the writing budget went. I feel, mm-hmm. you know, the writing team budget went to the undesired digital effects, like the early 90s digital effects. Um, what was the makeup? What was his. What's going uh, th- on? There's definitely there. like a prosthetic phallic nose happening and an- like little antennas. Antennae? What, how, what's the plural? I don't know. I think but, antennae like, he's is fully correct. pink. Um, yes. It, and it almost. It, the quality and of expressionless. the video. Like the nose is so big that you can't even really discern any. Like, cause he's, he's, he's a pretty expressive yes. dude, like, as a comedian. He's no Robin Williams, but, like, I mean, you know, or Jim Carrey, but... Right. It's hard to tell, like, kind of what's going on half the time. All of his acting is happening with his eyes, his yes. neck, yes. and his body. I re- eyebrows. Yeah, lots of eye. Were they work. ever in the same room at the same time? I was watching this movie, and I was like, did, did they ever film a scene together? It would be, first off, impossible. <laughs> right? So, like, did they ever even meet? Like, that is a wild question that I didn't even consider, because the entire time he's just, like, sitting in his pocket, essentially. Yeah. But he didn't obviously need to be there to be sitting in the pocket. 
right. so to speak. Right. All the scenes where it's just Sinbad in the pocket and or like in front of a blue screen. It's not like Ben Savage is off screen like well, feeding, it, feeding him lines and like running it back with him. You know, you know I got it. They, they had to be on set together. You mean that chemistry between them? Like there was some synergy. It was pretty odd point. They were for, really like they, they, were, they had a friendship. Yeah. It was pretty uh, odd point. So you read the books then. Did you cliff notes the books? This was I, the I thing. Because it's Aliens for Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. Yeah, and I didn't know there were sequels. Um, and I, I wish they would have done sequels. I, I wish so, too. Um, and I I want to know what the deal is with the sequels. Should I was trying to research. Start a GoFundMe? To... Yes, and make, the, make it right now. We're going to make it with Portland Comedians. Yes. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, 2023 is looking we just, better we just already. just need a pink penis nose for someone. Oh, I'm sure yeah. that Among Us we have at least six. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, wait, what, what, what question were we talking about? Oh, we're talking about? about the books. Oh, the books, the books. Uh, so after you mentioned the books, I didn't realize this was based on a book, and it makes sense. It's very much like no one did enough drugs to write this movie. It's one of those so, reading bus yes. books. Yes. You know, like, like uh, book fair books. Yep. That you would pick up. It definitely has that vibe. And um, the made-for-TV adaptation yeah. is perfect in that respect. Exactly. Like, it, 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 so it's much what it encapsulates what a novel of the 90s became like. Uh-huh. I would say Aliens for Breakfast, the book is to Aliens, the Breakfast, the movie, as Goosebumps, the books, are to Goosebumps, the television show. Like, it is so on point with what the vibe is for Goosebumps. I think they had a better budget for that. Oh, certainly. <laughs> oh, certainly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dude, when that dog's eyes blows green, oh my god, you just scare yeah, the shit out of me. I, yeah. Huge budget Goosebumps. Uh, Aliens for Breakfast. Not, Not so, so much. much. Not no. so much. No. Um, but yeah, I, I listened to the book um, because the okay. Destin Public Library did a read-along. Oh. Um, and I was like, I don't know where to find this book. I didn't like... So to prepare for this, I listened to it because I wanted to know how faithful it was to the story. Yeah. And it mostly is so did they like draw dialogue from the book yeah absolutely yeah the entire um you kind of have to math class scene that was in the book (laughs) it was 56 minutes long with commercial breaks yeah the big differences are they added a character miriam um right which was a love interest interest for um richard Mm -hmm. whose name i thought was bigger staff but it's thicker staff um and i was like why did they give this child a like gay porn name when I thought it was Bigger Staff. Dick Bigger Staff yeah, is a great yeah, porn name. Yeah, I mean that's... Not, be, not befitting of this child in a, in a very... I might adopt that starting OnlyFans tonight as <laughs> Dick Bigger Staff. <laughs> it's a great handle. Yeah. <laughs> a great handful. <laughs> and my first project will be an Aliens for Breakfast yeah. porn parody. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I take a ride on that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Sorry. Derail. Um, no, the, the, there's also a uh, psych-out ending in the movie, um, because in the book, the it's alien, the, yeah. the drain, the uh, red pepper takes the red pepper flakes yeah. and explodes, and that's the end. Right. But in the, uh, this version, they were like, well, we're going to add a little fake-out yeah. thing where he's already divided, so right. the drains are causing trouble and then it's like okay we wasted all of our red pepper flakes what now yeah and it's like (laughs) well it turns out that if you like expose a drain to the earth's atmosphere he also explodes 
And by explodes, I mean spins around and sort of just vaporizes. It didn't... That also, was an the, the alien moment. that is the drain. Yeah. It was disturbingly nineties. Yes, like, it was an amalgamation of all of the worst B movie aliens I that were produced from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety four. So much. Um, also, basically, when it happens, and, and I think this is why they added that ending because they needed that transformation. Because in the yeah. book, I don't think it happens. I think he sort of like his eyes start bugging and then he just explodes. Gotcha. Um, so they needed that reveal. That's not as climactic. No, exactly. if you can squeeze another three hundred dollars out yep. of the CGI budget, yeah, and they, they they really put all the budget into that alien, pretty much. Yes, uh, yeah, I yeah. feel like every other thing was an afterthought. Yep, exactly. And they were like, okay, purple <laughs> tentacles, yeah. obsessed with it, um, would marry it. Yeah, um, I, I think that's very handy around the house. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's got like the, twelve the tentacles point, or something. The 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 moment in which this happens is so good because Ben Savage's character um, is just like dwarf, more like dork. dork. Yes, <laughs> that's what does it. He yeah. exposes it by calling it a dork. Yes, which and also can we not, can we talk about the underlying allegory? Not, not even allegory, but just like direct uh, examples of like not following the status quo or like yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's the whole. I, I think moral. they also like over explain yeah. it in the movie too. I, at the oh, end, yes, it's like very on the nose. something it's, at the end, they're like, "Oh, very after school special." You don't have to be like everyone else. <laughs> okay, so the lead, and I'm going to call him the lead in this movie, Sinbad. Uh-huh. Yes, because really, this is a movie about Sinbad. It's not about the kid Richard. I'm going to take that away from him because yes okay sure the story follows him and his life Mm -hmm. but really it's about eric popping in and like saving earth i mean he's the titular character aliens for breakfast it's not richard bickerstaff no eating breakfast i'm going with bickerstaff Um, (laughs) but sinbad is famous for being part of that mandela effect yes which is Famous for people thinking that Nelson Mandela died in prison for the stretch that he was serving for being on the wrong side of apartheid. I mean, the right side of apartheid. Uh, From there, there have been numerous examples, one of which is Shazam. Yes. All right. I know somebody who claims up and down that they've seen Shazam and that they have a VHS copy of it at their house back home. is not real. Which is not real. They they are thinking of Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal. Thank you. I have always Mm -hmm. had this theory that... What's your theory? My theory is that some people saw Aliens for Breakfast and got the two confused. Very different thing, an alien from a cereal box and a genie. But I think that that has something to do with it. There are some prevailing theories. Mm -hmm. One of which is that Sinbad came forward stating that he starred in a skit where he was dressed as a genie and claimed Mm. that this could be an explanation, but... People then go back to him and say, well, but it was a feature-length film that you were in, sir. Like, you were in it. Yeah. This is like how people who think that the moon landing was faked, they'll go up to astronauts and say, you're a liar, and, like, get in their face about it. And, like, I think Buzz Aldrin <laughs> punched a guy once because of it. As he should. Right. It's like, yeah. dude, I was there, you idiot. You're a fucking yeah. idiot. All right. So there's that one. Some people claim the, the confusion because of Sinbad the Sailor. No. 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 That doesn't make any sense. Another claim is that all Shazam copies were destroyed after a legal dispute with the writers of Kazam or DC Comics because they have a character named Shazam, or that Sinbad was simply embarrassed by the movie and refuses to acknowledge that it exists. 
Like, like to, no. <laughs> I stand by my theory that everyone just saw aliens for breakfast and forgot that it existed. It was just burnt in their brain, and yeah. I'm the only one. I'm the smartest person. I was like, aliens for breakfast. Um, when you when you said it, I, I don't I don't think that I ever saw this like as part of the movies growing up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because I saw Kazan. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a great movie. Yeah. I actually rewatched Aliens for Breakfast a few years back okay. because I was writing a blog post about procrastination and to <laughs> procrastinate, for some reason I remembered this movie, it just popped in my head and mm. I was like Googling it and realized the entire movie was on YouTube. So yeah. I sat in a coffee shop in Beverly, Massachusetts and watched all 55 minutes of this film. Plus the McDonald's commercials, which we need to get back to. I'm sorry. I have a favorite one okay. of those commercials, and it is the first one in the movie where there is a girl who gets a bad haircut. Yeah, she's uh, a perm or something. Yes, yeah, it's awful. Yeah. yeah. And her mother is the best comedian I've ever seen. Uh, she just like has all it's these wisecracks. Roast, roast mode. Full yeah, roast yeah. Mode. She goes full on, um, and then towards the end of it, uh, like the child is like. I want to die. And her brother's like, let's get McDonald's. Yeah. Like, how about <laughs> a last meal? I know. <laughs> Towards the end, she says something like, I think people are going to see you and they'll be like, now that's an interesting girl. Which isn't a compliment. <laughs> no, when somebody says something like, oh, I really love the musical arrangements and the yeah. play. It was fantastic. <laughs> the, yeah. The choreography was was really good. It yeah. was really interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah, interesting yeah. is the key word there because <laughs> no one is like, "Oh, it was interesting," and they mean it. Um, but yeah, oh gosh, I love that ad. I love uh, all the McWorld ads, but like that one in particular has a special place in my heart, and I remember. Because I worked in marketing and advertising, so mm. when that ad, it was the first one I think in the whole movie, and when that popped up, I was like, "Fuck yeah." <laughs> it's a it's a great one. I, I like the the Michael Jordan scene. Peak Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, this was this was pre Space Jam. Michael Jordan. But it was also like such a throwback to how um, basketball was like it at that oh, moment. Oh yeah, like yes. I don't know if that was the height of the Chicago Bulls or what, but. Um, it, I think that the three-peat was 94, 95, 96. Mm-hmm. That sounds right. I think it was yeah. two, two three-peats. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't know about sports. I just remember I had a Chicago Bulls jacket. And like, nice. I was just fully riding that basketball wave. Nice. Um, I was a little late for MJ. I was an Iverson fan. I had an Iverson mm-hmm. jersey. Yeah. Alan I, Iverson was the bad boy of the early 2000s. Um, I actually have a, a little um, Polaroid sticker from a Kids R Us. There was a photo booth, and I'm wearing my Chicago Bulls jacket, mm. and I'm standing next to an alien. Nice. So, was it Sinbad? Yeah, it, wa- it was Sinbad. It, it, yeah. it, it was Sinbad. <laughs> Sinbad came. No, it's nice. like a, a fake one. They probably had a blue screen, too. You know, I wouldn't put it past him. It's uh, It was burgeoning technology. Everybody wanted a, a piece of it. Yeah. Everyone getting in on that sweet blue screen action. Yeah, oh. now, now they just have IMAX-sized screens for walls in studios. What? Oh, that makes yeah. sense. So they did a lot of uh, The Mandalorian instead huh. of blue screening, because then the actor knows what's going on around them. Yeah. It, it gives a little bit more authenticity. Now I'm learning. 
Yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah. What, that's what this podcast, this podcast is all about. about. I bring to you aliens not... for breakfast. Yes. You teach me about special effects. You got it. This <laughs> is a solid trade. Cheers. Cheers to you. Indeed. I, I'm um, looking forward to having regular breakfast because I feel like if yeah. we did consume aliens for breakfast, we would probably start vomiting pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, he, he never actually eats the alien for breakfast. No, so that's, that's true. So it is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah. He, it's just it like comes over, you know, it's in the box. <laughs> yeah. I also happened to be coming down off of hallucinogens when I watched it. So, like, I was, I, I was just like, I Im- desperately wanted to watch this after taking like several edibles. Yeah, oh yeah, that would also be fantastic. Uh, mm. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, maybe, maybe we'll make it an annual exodus. <laughs> we'll take far too many edibles yes. and watch Aliens for Breakfast together. Hell yeah, that should be the tradition. Everyone take edibles, do drugs, watch Aliens for Breakfast. That's Indeed, the slogan of this entire podcast now. <laughs> so i know that there are a lot of themes and overarching motifs throughout this very important and poignant film but did you have a particular scene that you enjoyed the most okay i have to be honest that i've narrowed it down to two okay and one of them is the scene in the classroom where dorf does the math problem um, i hate dorf dorf can we talk about how much i hate that little piece of shit well mainly because i was forced to have the same haircut as a kid he was exceptionally smug in that moment, and that—that's why. Mm. That's how the movie gets you on the side to hate him because it he's sure so does. smug. Yeah. Um, but in that moment, all of the characters surrounding him are charmed by his smile, which is sort of like his superpower of sorts. That right. he just smiles at people, and they look at his teeth, and then they're under his control. They're all buying red sneakers. They're all. But like, what does he gain by being a drain? You know what I mean. So like, what is it? Is he? He's draining their souls or, like, their attention power. Like, is is he getting rocked off underneath there? Because he's not a little boy. Yeah, no. He's not a little boy. He's an Um, intergalactic. They're uh, sort of like his minions. They'll do whatever he wants. But what what is that, though? Like, there there was no... They never fully explain what he's going to do with these people. In Animorphs, at least the Yurks have, like, a goal. You know what I mean? Sure. Vaguely. What what I'm saying is Aliens for Breakfast isn't that sophisticated in the backstory how dare of you. what the drains are doing. How, um, but, how dare you. But they, they, he is getting them to be compliant. So there's another moment. Sorry, we'll go back to class. But, like, there's another moment in art class where they're all building little pyramids right. all together. And it's like, if he can do that with them, then they can build, you know, buildings like whatever they'll do his bidding child labor laws Um, yeah and if anyone isn't compliant then he just destroys them i don't know they're all it's up for interpretation what dwarf wants but is he gonna he's gonna destroy them from like the the viewpoint of a 12 year old boy maybe um but well eventually he can show his true form once they're all under his control well i guess okay so like let's say he was if he's gonna be like the youngest senator right Mm -hmm. like he's gonna be like boy senator and, and, you know, lobbyists are, like, trying to, you know, like, stiff-arm him. The mob's trying to stiff-arm him. And he's like, you know what? Now nobody's buying Converse's. Nobody's mm. buying red Converse's anymore, because I say so. <laughs> and you put Converse out of business, the dude's destitute. There's also the possibility that his ultimate goal is to just be around long enough to divide and, like, 
take over the entire planet. I forgot that he is a bit of a... Yeah. He's a parasite in that yes. way. Yes. Uh, also, like, did he... So, did he find a dwarf and inhabit him? Did he grow dwarf-like exterior skin? Is it I, I a think, mental projection? What, like, listen, I'm, I'm so... I think dwarf slash the drains did some market research. They were like, okay, we have to have a... Um, Hanson looking uh, yes, kid. Yes, exactly. We need a Hanson. Yeah. It, we, yeah, it, it needs to look like a Devon Sawa type or something. Uh, hey, uh, live long and prosper, friend. Well, oh, it's has, not you too. It's peace and long life. <laughs> Certainly not a nerd. Um, nerd credentials taken from that random dude who was wearing a com badge. Sorry, buddy. As you should take it away. It's Portland. What is he? He's not going to do anything. I could I could go and take that from him right now. Look at I'm, I'm huge. Look at me. I'd be nice about it though. I wouldn't like push him down in the snow. I'd be like, huh, didn't even say. Well, you're saying he's not a real nerd, which is like reverse bullying. It, it, yeah, I, well, this is that's so true. Yeah, well, it's like, uh, yeah, you're not a real nerd. That's how how I felt. Uh, <laughs> that's how it should sound too. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> Being asked to this podcast, I was like, oh, I don't really know anything about sci-fi. Um, but I do know sure about do. this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I have many theories. Sorry. I have to say, to get back to the single yes. scene, where in the classroom. Dorf and his teeth, I, I think Dorf, as problematic as this is to say, is a bisexual icon. Um, everyone in the class, the boys and the girls, are all looking at him with love in their eyes. Henry wants to fuck. Henry is um, so... I don't mean to sexualize children, but no, Henry is trying to not. fuck 112%. Um, but, yeah, and uh, that's why I was like, it's a problem to me that they just threw in Miriam as this secondary character. I felt like it was queer erasure, because in the book, I think that, like, there was this hint of it could be a romantic thing between Henry and Richard. I mean, they're children. He might just not have liked girls. But there was, like, this maybe hint of that, and the studio was like, listen, we can't let people think Richard is gay. We gotta add a girl in there. We right. gotta add a girl. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid that oh, they are too friendly. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're... But there is no love interest for Henry. Henry. <laughs> uh, no, Hen- Henry is one-dimensional. He's just yeah. the best friend who eats tuna fish or peanut butter. I don't remember which one. Um, my second favorite scene in this movie is the one where Eric and Richard are playing basketball alone. <laughs> Eric isn't playing basketball. He's just <laughs> sitting in the pocket. Yeah, not as much um, as he's just and, being crushed in his pocket. Yeah, Dorf just shows up, takes the basketball... And is like, I want to be your friend, Richard. Why won't you let me be your friend? And then ominously in slow motion dribbles and slam dunks and hangs off the hoop and just smiles at him. It is so awkward. It's so awkward, but also so ominous in this like weird way. (laughs) First off, Richard's reaction. There's no surprise. (laughs) It's like, I could, I'm six foot six. I could barely dunk on a good day. Yeah. You know, like, I, I have to be warmed up. I, I had to have been balling for like a month, you know, like in preparation and like doing squats. Yeah. This kid from a non-running start, just a two-step start, basically, yeah. dunks and no reaction. Oh, because he's not a kid. He's an alien. Right. He's a dwarf. That's true. You don't know what a drain can do. A drain, you know, he's, this, he's draining threes. The drains were that much. <laughs> um, in Space Jam, is what I'm saying. That's actually the truth. The basketball aliens in Space Jam are drains. Or maybe all aliens are just good at basketball. 
I, I but see, no, okay, what happens in Space Jam <laughs> is they capture NBA players and extract their talent and put it into oh. the minion aliens. Okay. That's what's going on. So there. what you're saying is the drains have captured uh Michael Jordan's talent. I think that they the, saw him in a McDonald's commercial, took him out. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a, this is this is the crossover we're connecting we... all the strings on the board with the red string. It's, is it going to be Sinbad in Space Jam 3? Yes. Um, one of my favorite lines that I wrote down is one in which it's like Eric trying to interpret the Earth world, and he's just like, what is this spherical object you keep manipulating? And he's talking about the basketball. The basketball. I'm, I'm bringing it back to basketball okay. again. Well, like the 90s, a lot of it came back to basketball. It there's, all there's came back to basketball. Airbud. Um, also, the fact that Alfre Woodard and Shelley Duvall are in this movie is insane to me. Uh, Shelley uh, Duvall, Duvall from uh, The Shining. The Shining, of course. And, yeah. Um, Apparently, Kubrick was like really mean to her, and that's that's like like actually scared her on set and was kind of a dick, and that's why she was that so good. Sounds yeah, fair enough. Yeah. She was also in Popeye with Robin Williams, which was commercially successful, but not very well reviewed. I learned this from Wikipedia right before this, because I was like, I know the name Shelley Duvall, but yeah. why do I? What was the other name that you said? Alfre Woodard, and she's just a very well She was the teacher. She's a very well-respected actress. If I was, like, an L.A. gay, I could tell you all of her credits, but I... But as, as, a, I'm as a Portland very gay, bad. you're not... Yeah. No, I'm just very bad at, like, remembering actresses and their stats and <laughs> all that. I have I have to look back again, to, like, because I don't... It didn't stand out to me that it was Shelley Duvall as the art teacher. Mm. What, stood because... out, what it stood out was Dorf being a fucking dick. Yeah. But, yeah, no, okay, so Alfre Woodard as well. She plays Lily in Star Trek First mm -hmm. Contact. That's that's awesome to see. It's a very weirdly casted movie. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Well, we have our own breakfast here yeah. that, that has just arrived. Pancakes. No aliens. <laughs> or so you think. Or so I think. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Get my salt and pepper. <laughs> what do you got coming up on this podcast? Well... Uh, next year brings a lot of new things to the podcast. Mm. I'm starting off 2023 with Serial Experiments Lane with Thomas Lundy. Did you say Serial, like S-I-E-R-I-L? Yes, Serial okay. Experiments Lane. Okay. I was like, that's a lot of serial. <laughs> uh, you know, aliens yes, coming yeah, out go, of serial. Going, yeah, sorry. Right, going right in from one into the other. Mm. No, this one is uh, late 90s sci-fi animated show okay so like real sci-fi i'm like aliens for breakfast <laughs> right and it's and it's serial as in like repeatedly and lane as in the name of someone like l-a-i-n not l-a-n-e um so that's coming up first then i have more alien i'm doing the alien franchise revisit Ooh. with tyus mccallan who does euphoria here on shady pines radio so nice. definitely stoked on that then I got Doomsday Clock, which is the follow-up to the Watchmen series comic book. Ah. I'm doing an obsessive comic disorder crossover with Gene uh, DeWeber. Yeah. Then I'm going to be doing a decades dive. Uh, that's going to be every month. So like like January is all science fiction leading up to 1919, mm -hmm. 1920. So like then February will be properties in the 20s. March will be the 30s. April will be the 40s, and just kind of exploring the decades in regards to science fiction, both in a literature and 
you know, movie Matt, and television sets. I ask an ignorant question of what is some of that early, like, 1919 and prior sci-fi? Sure. So a lot of it is literature, uh, mm. like H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, and most notably uh, Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, uh, okay. I, w- I would say is, like, one of the genre-defining pieces. Like, I mean, it's, there's also one of the first sci-fi films with uh, Le Voyage de Lune. Mm. I think I just butchered that, but... That's what the science factual logo is. It's the moon with the rocket stuck in its eye. Like, it's from 1908. It's a French film. And then wrapping up the month, I'm doing Barbarella with Emily June. Hell yeah. Barbarella's a shit. Mm. So, yeah, lots coming up. And I'm, I'm going to be doing that kind of format where, like, the first week is going to be a guest comedian. Second week, I'm doing more with uh, Shady Pines Radio, like, doing a DJ guest crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, week three is going to be another comedian. Then we do the decades dive of the last week. So little bit of a different format in 2023 keeping things fresh i was uh scheduling people out i was like hey what are you doing the last week of march they're like i don't know what i'm doing two weeks from now <laughs> but if you want to talk about science fiction i guess i'll talk about science fiction with you well uh, uh joe john we're wrapping up 2022 here okay but, yeah. uh, what, what is coming up in your comedy schedule next year early next year um i just started a show called star power at sante bar and we're going to be doing it twice next month on the second and fourth thursdays which i believe are january 12th and january 26th so everyone take notes write that down put it in your calendar very cool um and yeah i got a few other things coming up too i'm gonna be at uh helium for the transplants on the 7th and I'm doing You Ought to Know at the Fourth Wall Comedy Corral, and it gets dark later in the month. So it's very a cool. very fun January. Yes, and uh, again, that's at JJSIII on the Instagram machine. You can follow him and see all of the cool stuff that he's got going on. Probably pictures of dogs, but then oh, yes. sometimes I'll tell you when I'm doing comedy. Pictures of Kenny? Mm-hmm. Yes, lots of pictures of Kenny, who is a sex doll that lives at Underbar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. And a saint. A true a icon. True saint. Indeed. And saint. Indeed. Well, uh, uh, how about we enjoy some breakfast ourselves? I think we should do that. And now, back to our program. Mm-hmm. Some awesome breakfast food on a snowy winter evening really hits the spot. Major shout-out to my father's place for being the spot for breakfast foods and open my comedy in Portland, and to Michael J. Phelps for hosting that mic and the father's favorite showcase, Looking forward to more stand-up comedy there in 2023. As per the buzzer you heard during the interview, the Bulls' three-peats were actually 91, 92, 93, and then 96, 97, 98. And Le Voyage dans le Lune by Georges Melier was released in 1902, not 1908. So, there you go. Poe Buddy's nerfect, am I right? I'll be sure to get the facts straight for that upcoming Decades Dive episode. Hey man, do you like hear that? I got this weird feeling like I'm being watched. I gotta go get my tinfoil hat. Because it's Conspiracy Corner time. For this secret encoding of the Conspiracy Corner, we take a look at the phenomenon of the Mandela Effect. Joe John and I got into it a bit over breakfast, but I had to venture into the dredges of the internet to get the full scoop on what's really going on with what's known as the Mandela Effect. Now, I want to start off by saying this phenomenon is different from gaslighting, which is the purposeful act of using psychological methods which leads to questioning one's own sanity or powers of reasoning. 
because no one is manipulating these people into believing their false memories, at least not actively. False memories can sometimes be shared by multiple people. This phenomenon was dubbed the Mandela Effect by paranormal researcher Fiona Broom, who reported having vivid and detailed memories of news coverage of South African anti-apartheid leader Nelson Mandela dying in prison in the 1980s. Mandela actually died in 2013 after serving as president of South Africa from 94 to 99. Or did he? No, he, he very much did. Broom reported that since 2010, perhaps thousands of other people had written online about having the same memory of Mandela's death, and she speculated that the phenomenon could be evidence of parallel realities. One well-documented example of shared false memories comes from a 2010 study that examined people familiar with the clock at the Bologna Centrale railway station in Italy, which was damaged in the Bologna massacre bombing in August of 1980. In the study, 92% of respondents falsely remembered the clock had remained stopped since the bombing when, in fact, the clock was repaired shortly after the attack. Years later, the clock was again stopped and set to the time of the bombing, in observance and commemoration of the event. Other examples include memories of the title of the Berenstain Bears children's book being spelled Berenstain, the logo of clothing brand Fruit of the Loom featuring a cornucopia, Darth Vader saying, Luke, I am your father in the climax of The Empire Strikes Back when he actually says, No, I am your father. Mr. Monopoly wearing a monocle, and the existence of a 1990s movie titled Shazam starring comedian Sinbad as a genie. The false memories of Shazam have been explained as a confabulation of real memories, possibly including the comedian wearing a genie-like costume during a TV marathon of Sinbad the Sailor movies in 1994, the 1996 film Kazam featuring a genie played by basketball star Shaquille O'Neal, and a late 1960s animated series about a genie called Shazam. Likewise, false memories of Mandela's death could be explained as the subject confabulating him with Steve Biko, another prominent South African anti-apartheid activist who died in prison in 1977. Scientists suggest that these are examples of false memories shaped by similar cognitive factors affecting multiple people and families, such as social and cognitive reinforcement of incorrect memories or false news reports and misleading photographs that influence the formation of memories based upon them. Now, normally the belief in false memories typically wanes after evidence is provided to the person experiencing something like the Mandela Effect, but sometimes that belief can manifest in negative ways beyond curiosity. False memory syndrome is defined as false memory being a prevalent part of one's life in which it affects the person's mentality and day-to-day -day life. False memory syndrome differs from false memories in that the syndrome is heavily influential in the orientation of a person's life, while false memory can occur without this significant effect. The syndrome takes effect because the person believes the influential memory to be true. However, its research is controversial and the syndrome is not included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or the DSM, for short. False memory is an important part of psychological research because of the ties it has to a large number of mental disorders such as PTSD. False memory can be declared a syndrome when recall of a false or inaccurate memory takes great effect on a person's life. Such a false memory can completely alter the orientation of one's personality and lifestyle. So where do false memories come from? Well, there are a number of theories regarding that. We have the strength hypothesis, which states that in strong situations, which are situations where one course of action is encouraged more than any other course of action due to the objective payoff, uh, people are expected to demonstrate rational behavior, basing their behavior on the objective payoff. An example of this is the laws of a country. 
Most of its citizens, no matter how daring, will conform to these laws because the objective payoff is personal safety. There's also the construction hypothesis, which says that if a true piece of information being provided can alter a respondent's answer, then so can a false piece of information. Construction hypothesis has major implications for explanations on the malleability of memory. Upon asking a respondent a question that provides a presupposition, the respondent will provide a recall in accordance with the presupposition if accepted to exist in the first place. The respondent will recall the object or detail regardless of whether it's true or false. And that brings us to the skeleton theory, which was developed by psychologist Elizabeth Loftus after having run an experiment involving 150 subjects from the University of Washington. Loftus noticed that when a presupposition was one of false information, it could only be explained by the construction hypothesis and not the strength hypothesis. Loftus then stated that a theory needed to be created for complex visual experiences where the construction hypothesis plays a significantly more important role than situational strength. She presented a diagram as a skeleton of this theory, which later became referred to by some as the skeleton theory. The skeleton theory explains the procedure of how a memory is recalled, which is split into two categories, the acquisition process and the retrieval process. The acquisition processes are in three separate steps. First, upon the original encounter, the observer selects a stimulus to focus on. The information that the observer can focus on compared to all the other information occurring in the situation as a whole is very limited. In other words, a lot is going on around us and we only pick up on a small portion based on our sensory inputs. This forces the observer to begin by selecting a focal point for focus. Second, our visual perception must be translated into statements and descriptions. The statements represent a collection of concepts and objects. They are the link between the event occurrence and the recall. Third, the perceptions are subject to any external information being provided before or after the interpretation. This subsequent set of information can reconstruct the memory. Now, the retrieval processes come in just two steps. First, the memory and imagery are regenerated. This perception is subject to what foci the observer has selected along with the information provided before or after the observation. Second, the linking is initiated by a statement response, quote, painting a picture to make sense of what was observed. This retrieval process results in either an accurate memory or a false memory. Now look, regardless of the number of other theories that exist trying to make sense of how memory works, of which there are many, none of them definitively answer the question of how our memories actually work outside of the electrical impulses and chemical processes involved with brain function. Like, why are we so suggestible? How does the collective consciousness work to the level that large groups of people can distinctly remember something so vividly that the rest of the population equally believes never happened? If you ask me, it's the shadow government experimenting with our minds. Again. As if the unsanctioned lobotomies and alien abduction treaties that they have going on weren't enough. And remember folks, reality is what you make of it. Or make up from it. Whatever floats your boat. Now that my eye is thoroughly twitching nonstop, I'd like to thank my sources for this episode, which include IMDB, MedicalNewsToday.com, Harvard.edu, and of course Wikipedia.com, because if it's on Wikipedia, it was probably planted there by a malicious alien race as part of some unknown scheme aimed at enslaving all humans. As we limp the car wreck that was 2022 into the garage and fill up the tank with that premium high-grade 2023, 
I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning into Shady Pines Radio throughout the year and for the support on the listening platforms Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It takes a lot to do the research and to put on a weekly show, so major thanks as well to my wife and research partner Amanda for being incredibly awesome and supportive. Next week's episode kicks off the new year with a look at the animated series Serial Experiments Lane with guest comedian Thomas Lundy, where we got to chatting about the awesome single-season cyberpunk series from the late 90s. You can catch that episode airing Tuesday, January 3rd from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Download the free Shady Pines Radio app for Android and iOS or visit us online anytime at ShadyPinesRadio.com for 24-7 access to super rad content from Portland, the Pacific Northwest, and beyond. Keep Shady Pines Radio awesome by donating to their Patreon page, plus you get some pretty cool swag for various donation levels. In order to celebrate the new year, Shady Pines Radio is throwing the eyeball New Year's Eve celebration. It's going to be a blast! When the new year awakens, you want to be looking directly into her eyeball. Dream with the dreamer. Dance with the lunatic. At the Eyeball New Year's Eve Surrealist Dance Party. Electric Streams Production. Saturday, December 31st at Polaris Hall. 8 p.m. until 1. DJ Rescue and Gregarious launch you into orbit. Sun Adams guides you through the stratosphere. Be outraged. Outlandish. Dress to impress your future self. Get your tickets now at PolarisHall.com. $25 in advance. Share a toast and face the strange <laughs> this New Year's Eve at the Eyeball. If we don't see you at the eyeball, I'd like to wish all of you a happy and healthy new year in 2023. Let's leave the troubles of 2022 behind and focus on bettering ourselves and each other while we exist in this weird experiment together. I know, why don't we get our laughs in with this set from Joe John at the Helium Comedy Club. Enjoy! Diddly fucking ho, neighborinos. My name is Joe John Sanchez III, and I am pumped. Yeah, I am pumped, full, and overflowing with thick, warm grief. Yeah, I am in mourning right now. I'm upset because they took down the Hooters sign at Jansen Beach. Rest in peace to the Hooters sign at Jansen Beach. I cherished every time I drove past that sign. But I was less enthusiastic when I realized that I was telling a joke about that sign and nobody ever had the decency to tell me that it's been closed for several years. My gripe with that Hooters is that it had no business existing in Portland. This city is chock full of sex clubs, glory holes, and strip clubs. 
And I don't know if you know this, but most, if not all, of those strip clubs have food, booze, and full frontal nudity. I am talking full pussy. Pussy in the face. If you were going to Hooters in Portland, then you were not committed enough to being horny. <laughs> the wings are not that good. And if you were going there because it was a family-friendly establishment, then perhaps you were a little too committed to being horny. <laughs> Shut that down. That's zany pervert behavior. Oh, but the Hooters is closed now, so that's a moot point. And instead, we're all here tonight. And we're having a little chuckle. Maybe we're even having a little beer. Who's having a beer tonight? Make some noise if you're having a beer. Yeah. I love beer. I love beer. And I, um, in my youth, did a lot of drinking games, so I chugged a beer. And has anyone here ever chugged a beer? Look at you. I love the concept of chucking beer because it is the one time in life that straight men get excited about competitive swallowing. <laughs> I also really love the word guzzle <laughs> because there are only two things you ever guzzle. <laughs> beer and calm. While we're talking about words I like, I also really love the word pizza. Because I realized recently, if you take off the A and replace the P with a J, it's just jizz. And that's science. And in this house, we believe in science. Similarly, similarly, if you take the TR off of a Trump sign and replace it with C-U-M-D, it's just cum dump. <laughs> and I'm sorry if that was too political for you. <laughs> because you're not gonna like the next thing I have to say. I think we need to defund the police. Yeah, thank you if you're clapping. If you didn't, you're an asshole. <laughs> we need to defund the police and replace them with the Oompa Loompas from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> hear me out, hear me out. It's a good idea. Because I don't know a single person who would commit a crime if they knew that musical comedy was a consequence. <laughs> The Oompa Loompas are the most condescending improv troupe of all time. <laughs> Oompa Loompa Doompity Doo? More like Oompa Loompa Doompity Don't steal my catalytic converter. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh, I gotta go, I gotta go. And before I go, I gotta say one more thing. I gotta use my platform. Straight men, more of you need to put things in your butts. 
there is a prostate in there. It feels good. God did not put a magic button in your butt for you to waste it. And ladies, I'm not gonna tell you what to do with your bodies because enough men in this country are trying to do that. But more of you should be pegging your boyfriends and husbands. So I don't have to fuck them for you. My name is Joe John Sanchez III, and that's been my time. We hope you enjoyed Aliens for Breakfast. And now, these messages. Hey folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesday. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. At 9 a.m., Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart. Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien at 11 a.m. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Corbidae. Northwest Comedy Hour with Emily June at 1 p.m. At 2 p.m., The Prague Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your own private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beach Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with Your Psychic Friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass at 10 p.m. And at 11 p.m., Taking Drugs to Play Music to Take Drugs to with Shampoo Douglas. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio.